There was one time she was in the exam room with a patient, needed to get records from another one of the, the patient's physicians, w- called that physician's office with the patient in the room and was refused to get a copy of the patient's records because you know the, the staff at that office, at the other office, was saying, no, we need the patient to physically sign a document allowing us to release the information to you. Um, with the patient in the background yelling, I'm telling you, I want you to send my information to my primary care doctor here. Hello and welcome to HIMSCast. The Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, better known as HIPAA, is a piece of legislation that many in the industry have long felt was in need of an update. It got just that on December 18th of this year when the Office of Civil Rights, part of the Department of Health and Human Services, issued a major new guidance. Just a week earlier, OCR floated a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, or NPRM, that focused on expanding individual rights to access data The notice, drafted as part of HHS's Regulatory Sprint to Coordinated Care Initiative, aimed to remove regulations that might impede communication and data exchange between provider organizations and health plans. Healthcare IT News Executive Editor Mike Milliard sat down with Matt Fisher, a partner at Merrick O'Connell and chair of the firm's health law group, to talk about these HIPAA changes, what exactly is in them, and what impact they're likely to have on healthcare information technology. Well, welcome, Matt. Thanks for being here today. It's good to talk to you. Good to see you again. Yeah, no, my pleasure to be here. It's uh, always great to be able to chat, and especially when we've got a great topic like the HIPAA proposed rule. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> a great time for the industry to be diving into stuff right before the holidays. <laughs> it's it's never a, never a boring day, right? Oh, yeah. You know, the, the regulators always keep us on our toes, that's for sure. At 4.55 p.m. on a Friday sometimes. But uh, this one came out, I think, in a normal time. But, uh, you know, I was, I was a bit surprised to see it. I, I wasn't expecting it potentially, although it, this is a topic we've been talking about for a long time. I think even you and I have talked about this, you know, in, in past years that perhaps HIPAA is due for, for something of a refresh. Um, and is that how you see it? I mean, as you, as you look at the proposed rule, I mean, is it an overhaul? Is it a refresh? Is it just a bit of a nip and tuck here and there? Or, you know, how do you see this, this proposal? Yeah, uh, you know, I would hesitate to call it any type of a sea change. Uh, you know, I think it's more of modifying in some of the key places, uh, or at least key places where it's seen as inhibiting to a degree the, the continued shift into value-based care. Uh, you know, thinking about the proposals uh, specifically around care coordination and care management, uh, and then also you know really continuing the the double down that OCR has been doing on the right of access. Uh, you know, with some of the clarifications. Um, you know, so it's, you know, while on first blush, you know, the, the rule itself, the proposed rule seems kind of long, uh, you know, that a lot of it is just kind of the, the typical flowery language that you'll see in these proposed rules and along with, uh, you know, kind of questions for input, which to some degree extends what had happened uh, with that request for information that closed, um, you know, gosh, back in, uh, I think, February 2019. Uh, you know, so kind of, as you said, we, we've been waiting for a bit of time for this proposed rule. Um, you know, but I'd say, you know, 
again, on the whole, it's kind of, you know, kind of to use your phrasing, a little bit of more of a nip and tuck as, as opposed to major modification. Uh, you know, because I, I would say that if we wanted major modifications, you, you'd really need legislative change first uh, because you can't, you're, you know, with the regulatory process, you can't do anything that's contrary to what the authorizing statute uh, mandates to be put into place. You know, as you look through some of the you know proposals that they're laying out here, you know, what are some specific areas that you that that strike you the most and think are most salient and and could potentially pose challenges for providers or payers? Yeah, I think there's probably two two primary lines to think about there. Uh, you know, the first one being the right of access. Uh, you know, arguably there shouldn't be too many challenges with it. Um, you know, because one again, right of access isn't an, isn't a new obligation. You know, although compliance or full compliance with it. Uh, you know, some might say is something new, uh, given, given uh, a lot of the historic challenges uh, that individuals have faced. But you know, really, when you're looking at kind of the, uh, a bulk of the changes within the proposed rule, it's creating a lot of alignment with the information blocking rule, uh, which you know, while right now, uh, you know, as we're talking in December 2020, is delayed for the you know the implementation that is pending in the very near future. And you know the goal there is to provide immediate and ready access to information for individuals. So the right of access proposed changes is just kind of reinforcing that. You know, you're cutting down the length of time that you have to respond. Uh, you're also trying to remove what are sometimes burdensome uh, verification or um, request uh, requirements that organizations uh, place upon individuals. Uh, you know, so from the operational perspective, there might be some challenges and. And I think that, you know, that's maybe being a little optimistic because any change would definitely bring some challenges. You know, really, it should just be viewed as, um, you know, this continuation of the focus of getting get information to the hands of the individual, that, you know, who it relates to, because that's going to help care, on, you know, overall. The other piece, um, you know, are the expansion and you know refinement of definitions for care coordination and care management, and allowing for um, you know potentially freer utilization of patient information in those regards. Uh, you know, kind of if you dive in, start diving into the details of what is laid out in the proposed rule, though, it's even recognizing that a lot of what is being documented or encoded there reflects what's already been common practice. Uh, you know, so you're already, you've already seen a fair amount of information being shared to help with um, care-related issues. You know, I, I think the benefit of the proposed rule is that it, it kind of opens up a couple of different avenues. It also makes it clearer that you, know, you can share information for these care-related purposes and you know, get it into the hands of potentially non-traditional healthcare entities as well. Because you know, there, there's a lot of discussion around the community-based uh, organizations providing health-related services. Yeah, you know, on first blush, I was like, you know, has HIPAA really been getting in the way of, of care coordination? I mean, you know, they're all covered entities, and, you know, I would think it would be pretty seamless, you know, that's just doing business. But you're right, as, as we focus more on, you know, social determinants of health and community organizations, and especially uh, in crises like we find ourselves in with the pandemic and, and the opioid uh, crises, I mean, it, it, that's what they're thinking about with, with regard to care coordination, right? Yes, no, definitely all those, and frankly, even day-to-day kind of treatment-related transmission of information, because it's, you know, you know I, I think, you know, as you said, hopefully most places are readily sharing information, you know, as needed for, you know, the, those traditional treatment payment and healthcare operation purposes around um, patient care, but 
unfortunately, that's not even always the case. It's, uh, you know, an, an anecdote that I like to dig out a lot is something that my wife, who's a primary care physician related to me, which is there was one time she was in the exam room with a patient, you know, pre-COVID because, uh, you know, there, there was easy communication and everything, but it's, you know, was physically in the exam room with the patient, needed to get records from another one of the, the patient's physicians, what, called that physician's office with the patient in the room and was refused to get a copy of the patient's records because, you know, the, the staff at that office, at the other office was saying, no, we need the patient to physically sign a document allowing us to release the information to you. Um, with the patient in the background yelling, I'm telling you, I want you to sh- send my information to my primary care doctor here. Um, and it's, you know, you know so there, there are still kind of operational challenges like that that exist. And hopefully, you know, one aspect of, of having the proposed clarifications around care management and care coordination, are it, it helps to raise the issue again into, you know, public discussion and drives, uh, you know, enhanced education and training around, you know, the actual operational requirements. Yeah. And as we've discussed, I mean, patients were often kind of given that HIPAA as an excuse why they couldn't have their own data too. We've heard, you know, innumerable stories about, you know, I need my records, but, you know, <laughs> HIPAA prevents me from giving it, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding even on the parts of providers uh, about this. Um, and we've seen recently from OCR, you know, Office of Civil Rights at HHS, you know, there's been a major uh, push recently for enforcement of, of right of access. You know, a lot of settlements coming out in, in quick, success, quick succession over the past few months, right? Yeah, no, you're definitely right. It's, you know, we had the first one in the fall of 2019, and then it's hard to keep track, but I think we're up to a dozen that came out in the span of, you know, a month and a half to two months and in the latter part of 2020. Uh, you know, obviously the dollar amounts range quite a bit, um, but it's, you know, as you said, it's really helping to emphasize the focus of you can't deny people access to their own information. Um, and, and then, you know, as you said, kind of going into the proposals around the right of access, it's really making that clearer. It's, you know, as I mentioned before, it's shortening, it would shorten the period of time you have to respond. It's clarifying, um, you know, that you're not going to have a battle of forms uh, around requesting. You know, I, I think I recall seeing, you know, either implicitly or explicitly in the, in the preamble of the proposed rule of you don't have to, you can't mandate that they sign your own form because uh, that, that's often an argument I've seen from organizations. Uh, and, and it's, you know, frankly, even with some of my colleagues, I give them the warning, uh, you know, because I, I have colleagues who are trying to get records on behalf of clients. So, we're, you know, we're doing it on behalf of the individual. I'm like, I'll give you this form. I can tell you that it meets every single requirement that HIP is going to requ- impose, but some organizations are still going to reject and say, no, you have to sign my form. So, you know, I think the rule, the proposed rule is trying to remove that challenge. Um, you know, it's also trying to streamline verification of the person, uh, you know, because that can be a barrier. And it's, you know, some of those other technical requirements. Uh, you know, I think another example I recall from the preamble is talking about some organizations mandate a notarized signature on the request form. And they're saying, no, you don't, you, you can't put that into place. That's an unreasonable burden and barrier to getting that information. So it's, you know, the bottom line is, as you said, OCR has, develop this consistent message and I'm optimistic that it's going to continue even with the administration shift of we're getting in you know everyone needs to get access to their own information and you know while yes you should take some reasonable steps to ensure that privacy and security are respected you know don't go overboard and and do you know put into place barriers that are you know really inhibiting uh, you know that preferred ability to to get into the information and be able to share it 
I mean, do you think that these proposed rules get the balance right? I mean, we've talked um, often about this kind of Goldilocks dilemma of, you know, enabling data sharing, but also protecting, you know, having robust privacy protections. I mean, you know, obviously the access is there in these rules. Do you think the privacy protections are still up to snuff? And uh... Yeah, I think, you know, I think to some degree time will tell on that part. Um, you know, I, after only a couple of readings of the proposed rule, it's probably difficult to be able to say, you know, exact, you know, what exactly the impact is on privacy. Um, you know, I, I'd like to think that it's not undermining it. Um, but, you know, then again, anytime you're, you know, you're enhancing access and enhancing where data can flow, you know, risks can, you know, attach to that. Uh, you know, that, you know, then again, that's not an argument against allowing that access. It's just, you know, maybe probably an acknowledgement of reality, I would say. And, and the other kind of component around it is, you know, you know, kind of the place where there are bigger fears put on privacy are really the the APIs and other third-party services that are being allowed to to come in and be able to be the place where the data is pulled into and 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 collected because it's you know, those third parties may not be subject to HIPAA and and I'll. In most instances, probably are not because it's probably something that's marketing to individuals. So you know, you know, as a consumer-facing service, HIPAA uh, very rarely applies. And even though you've got you know, kind of FTC and you know, Federal Trade Commission rules around personal health record services, it's not as robust or developed of an area and doesn't get the same level of attention. Um, you know, I think that will, you know, hopefully that will drive, uh, you know, a different type of policy discussion around privacy, whether it's, you know, uh, a self-developed policy for the industry or, you know, a, you know, kind of a more comprehensive privacy scheme, you know, from the government, uh, you know, which would probably mean new legislation. And I think there has been, uh, you know, kind of rumblings and, you know, I think there might even be one bill, you know, floating around Congress at the moment, although, you know, kind of that doesn't really mean anything since uh, a new Congress convenes in January of 2021 and everything would need to get reintroduced. Um, you know, but it's, you know, it, you know, so again, none of this should stop um, the ability to access information. And I, I do think it should give people a reason to take a pause and, and, to, and to consider, okay, where am I having my information sent? How am I, you know, how am I asking for it to be transmitted? And also, you know, what are the terms and conditions around the use of these different services? Um, so, you know, I, I would hope that you have, you know, what's probably a more informed utilization of services, uh, but not uh, you know, a cessation of, the, uh, of using services like, uh, you know, third-party applications or, uh, you know, other services. And it's, um, you know, even then it's, um, you know, I work with some companies where, you know, they know they're in that direct-to-consumer market, but, they are still going above and beyond when it comes to ensuring privacy and security because you know they know that that can be a good differentiator within the market and that's also where their headspace is they they don't want to be taking advantage of the data they want to be be out there helping individuals yeah you mentioned a new congress coming in i mean it's not just a new congress it's uh i I mean unless something crazy happens which (laughs) these days who knows but um a new president is coming in too uh just about a month um is it typical to see policy, big policy stuff like this coming out in the, in the, in the last month of an administration? And, and, you know, even if it's not, do you expect that there could be any changes to this under a Biden administration? Yeah, um, in terms of, you know, big policy like this coming out with the administration transition, it, it, it's, you know, it's been a while since we've had a, long, a one-term president. Um, you know, it, I, I think the, the last time that happened was the first Bush, honestly. Uh, you know, so you're talking, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, you know, so... From one perspective, you might have think, you, you might be viewing it as you know 
the agencies were still pushing out their agenda because they were hoping to remain in power. Um, you know, I can't speak to other agencies, but I think at least for HHS, and you know, which is obviously where the OCR that we're concerned about is located, and some of the other changes, you know, you've really seen kind of a consistency of um, the regulations as well, and the kind of underlying premise behind where you're going, whether it be value-based care or talking about privacy and security or health IT utilization. You know, there there hasn't really been a breaking point, whether you're looking at, you know, from second Bush into Obama through Trump and now likely into the transition to Biden, it, you know, it seems to be a progression. Um, you know, so I, I'm not anticipating that there will be a major shift of the goals or uh, the direction that you'd want to go. Uh, you know, I think the only kind of breaking point that you did see in that regard was the first couple months of uh, the Trump administration when Tom Price was secretary of HHS um, but as soon as he left, it went snapped back right into the vein of we're innovating, we're evolving, and we're not going back to how things were. Um, you know, so I think all that being said, it's you know, you might end up with some delay, especially you know, because you know you need to get new senior leadership who are political appointees into place. So confirmation processes can take a while. Uh, you know, so you, maybe you'll see a little bit of a slowing down in the timeline, but. Uh, you know, my gut feeling is I, I don't see um, you know that the change from Trump to Biden uh, would result in a pullback of this, even even if it is somewhat unusual to see kind of major policy uh, proposals. Although again, with the HIP and NPRM, I don't know if it's can be viewed as a major uh, shift. Um, you know, but it's you know, it should be something that can be taken up, and you know, you you wouldn't necessarily see a, a 180 in terms of viewpoints. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's been covering this for more than 10 years at this point, it is pretty remarkable how bipartisan, you know, a lot of the stuff is, which <laughs> these days is pretty remarkable because there's not much that is bipartisan anymore. <laughs> but uh, it's good to see that health IT and, and data exchange and patient access is uh, at least one of those things, right? Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, uh, you know... Th- there are issues that, as you said, can be bipartisan and can get a lot of support behind it. It's a, you know, I was hearing someone say recently, it's you know, if you want to talk about a major policy shift or a major policy that was adopted as an administration is going to be changing, think about 21st century cures, uh, which was passed by Congress in the waning months of the Obama administration. And you know, while it took most of the Trump administration to get the regulations uh, implementing a lot of those changes out, and you know, as we're talking about information blocking before, still. Still waiting to actually come come into effect. You know, you didn't see anyone trying to flip the the script on it. You saw, you know, you you had Congress and regulators responding to uh, concerns raised by patients and concerns raised by the industry. So it's, you know, I I, I do think that there is that, as you said, bipartisan uh, recognition that these are important issues and, and issues that need to be addressed. Was this HIPAA rule released? Do you think you know in explicit? Co- coherence with the ONC and CMS rules, or is it just kind of serendipitous that they all come out at relatively the same time? Um, you know, so if you're talking about the ONC and CMS info, info blocking rules and interoperability, I mean, those were all finalized in the spring. It's just, you know, so with them having been finalized, you know, I think it probably informed, I think it definitely informed how this HIPAA NPRM uh, progressed because it's, you know, clearly it was being drafted as they were finalizing the info blocking interoperability rules and then also started to see you know, probably some of the reaction to the final rules in those in that regard, because it, you know, I, I think what was it? The HIP NPRM went to OMB or the Office of Management and Budget, which is kind of the, the final reviewer internally of regulations. I think back in August, 
um, you know, so we've been waiting a few months for it to get released and then actually to be actually published. Um, you know, but yeah, no, I definitely think that there was probably a, a conscious effort, and especially there, there might even have been refinement of that of the NPRM before submission to OMB, as you started to hear um, concerns raised after the info blocking and interoperability, interoperability final rules came out and questioning of how does this align with HIPAA. Um, you know, so it, you know there, you know, and, and you can see that with the explicit references to to some of those requirements uh, in the preamble discussion in the NPRM. Right. Right. Well, you know, with the you know admission that it's still early days and there's a common period to go through and this is not going to be finalized for a bit, um, you know, if you had advice to give to uh, providers or to, you know, vendors, app developers, you know, folks like that, what would you be doing to prepare for this, uh, for the changes, you know, included in here that, that seem probable to be finalized um, going forward? Yeah, I, I think the key, one of the key points would be really evaluate what you're doing on the right of, on the front of right of access because, you know, while there's tinkering there and modifications, the, the fundamental piece of everyone's entitled to their information exists now, has existed for a long time, but compliance has been all over the place. Uh, you know, so take the time to understand what the processes are now and maybe even self-adopt where the direction could be going with, with the proposed rule. Uh, you know, because I think, one, that's going to just ease your relationship with your patients or with your customers, depending on, you know, how, how you classify them. But it's, you know, on the whole, you're trying to think of, you know, how do we keep people happy, especially now where, you know, arguably with so many people still accessing through, you know, services through telehealth, it's a lot easier to say, I'm going to switch my, my clinician and go somewhere else. So, you want to make sure you're not losing um, your market share because uh, you, know, you know ultimately everyone is a business, and if you're not having if you don't have patients, you're not going to have a business anymore. Uh, and then the other piece is you know with the care coordination, care management. You know, I, I think I've referenced it's you know there's a lot of implicit recognition that a lot of the practices around the sharing of the data have occurred already, um, and it's really just kind of removing some gray area or encoding what has been common practice. Um, you know, so I would advise, you know, take a look at relationships and, you know, think about how, you know, how data can flow appropriately, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, it, you know, you want to get information about patients into the hands of everyone who's involved in their care, you know, because it all goes back to creating that patient-centric um, system and doing everything possible to, to ensure the best uh, possible and highest uh, value and efficient care for individuals. Well put. Uh, well, thank you. This has been terrific. This is a very informative uh, discussion for, uh, you know, a lot of detailed rules that can be a bit confusing sometimes. So you were very helpful in unpacking them. So thanks, man. Yeah, no, it was my pleasure to, to be able to chat about it. And it's, uh, you know, as you said, it's always, it's always great to be able to talk talk through the issues because it's you, you never know what can come up at every time you, you start parsing through the details. Exactly. Well, thank you for helping us unpack them. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Uh, we'll be talking to you again. Um, happy holidays and, and happy new year. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks, Matt. Hi again, Joan here. This will be the last Hymnscast podcast of 2020, but we'll be back in the new year with some more great episodes. In the meantime, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting this show and listening. From all of us at Hymns Media, we hope you have a safe and happy holiday season.